Paslesa Williams is an award-winning author who writes contemporary romance and women's fiction with an Afro-Filipina twist. Proud of her heritage, she loves sharing her culture with her readers. She has an MFA in writing popular fiction from Seton Hall University, a master's in public administration from the College of Charleston, and an undergraduate degree in Spanish language and literature from Columbia University. Preslesa is also a professional actress, a planner nerd, an avid bookworm, and a homeschool mom who often wears mismatched socks. Her contemporary romance titled A Low Country Bride releases on June 1st, 2021 with Avon Books' HarperCollins. To follow along with her busy life, visit her at www.presslaysa.com. That's P-R-E-S-L-A-Y-S-A.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter. This is Echoes and Hope with Presslaysa Williams. I was raised as a cradle Catholic. My mother is uh, very, very, very Catholic. She's Filipino, so she comes from the tradition of Catholicism. And my father's black, and he's not a very religious person. He's never been a real uh, religious person. So all of my Catholicism came through my mother. <laughs> so I was raised as a cradle Catholic, baptized as an infant, did all the sacraments up to confirmation. I went to Catholic school from pre-kindergarten to 12th grade. And then I went to Columbia University in New York. And my journey with Catholicism has been a very bumpy road. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, I started questioning the doctrines of the church. Mostly, I questioned a lot of the Marian theology, and I didn't really agree with it at that time because I was reading a lot of evangelical literature. I was anti-Catholic. Evangelical literature about Mary and seeing the Catholic Church as like the beast in (laughs) the book of Revelation and all that. When I started reading those books, I started questioning and I questioned the nuns in my school. And I was like on this path to like figure out the truth. Like, what is the truth? Am I in the church of Satan? (laughs) And all this. So then they couldn't really give me the answers that I wanted. And so that seed of doubt was planted. And by the time I got into high school, even though I was still in Catholic high school, I wasn't really strong practicing Catholic. I wasn't strong in my faith. And then once I went to college in New York City, then I was just like, you know, whatever. I just kind of forgot about the church. I didn't go to mass or anything like that. And then I hit a real hard road in my college years and I became clinically depressed because during that time my parents divorced and I had to figure out my way as a young adult. And so I hit a really hard spot in my college years. I was clinically depressed. I was actually flunking classes, wasn't attending classes because I would sleep all day. There was a time where I was doing a lot of self-harm as a college student and had like some suicide attempts, um, some, some multiple suicide attempts where I had to get my stomach pumped as a college student. So I was flunking classes, not really into faith, multiple um, self-harm, suicide attempts, which I, at this point, I feel like they were pleased for help more than me wanting to, to die or to, to actually end my life. And I got kicked out of Columbia in my sophomore year because they were like, well, you know, you're not doing well academically. Why don't we put you on probation? Why don't you go back home and take some college classes at a local college? And if you can get B or better 
I think I had to do 12 credits with B or better, and then they would let me back in. So I left, and I moved in with my mother. Uh, she was divorced at the time, so I lived with her. And that's when I kind of started to find my way back, kind of found my center. And at the time, I started listening to Christian radio, so it was mostly Protestant evangelical stuff. So I started listening. And after a while, I, I made a deal with God, a personal deal with God. And I was like, you know, I'm sorry that I've strayed from you. And I want to rebuild my relationship with you and don't ever let me stray like the way I did thus far and screw up my life the way I have thus far. And, you know, I said, I'll, I will recommit my life to you. And if there's ever in my life a time where I'm straying from my relationship with you, make sure that you always pull me back in some way. Just always pull me back, whatever it is. So I was 22 when I said that. And I made that vow or um, commitment to God. And then I started going to a reformed church. And I just started my path with walking with God again and through the Protestant church. And then I met my husband and he goes to African Methodist Episcopal Church. So he's also Protestant. And so we got married in that reformed church. And then after we got married, I started attending Protestant churches. So he was in the military at the time. So we would go to the AME church, or we would go to Assembly of God church, or non-denominational mega church. And so we did this from like 2003 to 2018-ish. I was a practicing Protestant. And I was really into like the evangelical church so I was into that. And then the tides turned with politically, like in America. And I saw how a lot of the evangelical Christians were like really pro-Trump, despite the racism that he spouts off and all that. And so then I came to a faith crisis. And I said, I don't want to have anything to do with these people if they're making their faith and their politics one like this. And so then I had a faith crisis and I said, you know, I don't want to deal with anything dealing with Christianity at all, whether it's Catholic, whether it's evangelical, just whatever. Then I started having an interest in African traditional religions. <laughs> After that experience with evangelicalism and just seeing the racism inherent in evangelicalism. I started going on a path where I wanted to know my uh, Black ancestors' histories. And that path led me to be interested in African traditional religions. And so I started talking to a lot of Black people who practice ATRs, that's what they call it, ATRs. So it can be um, Conjure or even uh, Voodoo or Candoble or Santeria. And so I just started learning about that and learning about how they have ancestor reverence. So then I went on that path. I'm a writer. And so from that, I wrote a novel where I have weaved those elements into my story. Because from what I've learned about them and what they practice, I said, I want to write about this. This is so interesting. So I, I did. And that's a rough draft manuscript. But I, I wrote that book. So maybe like last year, I was looking at the Black goddess in African traditional religions. And I said, oh, that's so interesting that they have that divine feminine. And she's a Black woman. And then I don't even know how it happened. But then I just got Black Mary or the Black Madonna became a figure who kind of like captured me or enraptured me or whatever you want to call it. And then I found out that a lot of European countries have a devotion to Black Madonna, Our Lady of Cheshkohoa, or other names that she has throughout Europe. So I said, oh, wait, these white people are worshiping uh, Mary who's Black? <laughs> 
So I said, well, hmm, that's interesting. And it's through a Catholic framework. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was Catholic at one point. <laughs> so then I started looking into the Black Madonna, Our Lady of Cheshkohoa. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start praying the rosary again. So and at one point last year it was last year where I really got fervent with it. I was praying four mysteries a day. I'm not as diligent right now. I'm not as, But during that time of praying the four mysteries a day, I got like really convicted about me as a human and just like the things that I've done in my life. I just got really convicted about it. And then I, I believe that was Mary convicting me. But then I never got closure on that argument that I had opened as an 11 year old where I was questioning Mary and theology. And I never got the answers that I wanted from that. So I said, well, if I do become a practicing Catholic, I need to make peace with this and I need answers and I need like real answers, like theologically backed answers. So some people who are Catholics like recommended that I read some books um, by Catholic theologians who used to be Protestant. So I, I read some of those and they answered the questions that I had about Mary and Marian theology. And so I said, okay, you guys answered this for me. And it was in a way that's biblical. And also that aligns with church tradition. For me, it was the Bible part that I was just like, these Bible verses don't make sense or whatever. So they answered it from a biblical standpoint. And I think, um, and that helped me a lot. So then I kept praying the rosary. And then Mary was convicting me about the fact that I never raised my children Catholic. My children have been in like Bible studies, Protestant Bible studies, and they have exposure to Jesus and all that. But I never like put them in catechism or anything. So then I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. But like, this is, has to be a joint thing. I'm like, my husband is not Catholic. So I asked him about it. And he was like, well, it's up to them. And then I remember that the age of reason in the Catholic Church is age seven. And my children are eight and 10. And at the time, they were nine and seven. So I asked them, I was like, would you want to, you know, go to catechism or whatever? And it's going to be different from what you've been learning. But would you want to go? And they're like, okay, sure. So then I enrolled them in catechism and I joined my local parish and then there was another thing that I had to come to grips with was the fact that I didn't get married in the Catholic Church so I have to get that right so I just recently started the process earlier this year but then the pandemic happened and so like it kind of stopped all of it stopped so then I was reading canon law and like oh is there a way that I could you know get this right in in the eyes of the Catholic Church and so there's this thing called radical sanation where the bishop of your diocese can say that your marriage is healed at the root. That's what radical sanation is. So I just sent off my letter to the diocese like last week. So I'm waiting on that. I'm doing a novena for that, actually. And so this is where I am. My husband's totally supportive of me practicing Catholicism. He's totally fine with the children going to catechism with the eventual end results of them being baptized and confirmed as Catholics. So he's totally fine with all that. But that's my walk as a Catholic. It's been so messy. <laughs> so like all over the place. I'm not like the straight and narrow Catholic who's like been Catholic all the time. And I'm thankful that I did have the Protestant influence in my 20s and in my 30s to kind of draw me back in my faith walk, especially as I was battling with depression, suicidal ideation and self harm. So I'm grateful for that. And, and so there's nothing that I would say I regret about my path, like my spiritual path. That's my story, a long winded story. <laughs> The issue for me, and I didn't notice it until I'm now 
41 years old, but I didn't notice it growing up was that I never saw divinity that looked like me. All of the divinity that I saw were European depictions of Jesus, of Mary, of the saints. I never really was exposed to the idea of black saints. I didn't know that there were any black saints. A lot of my education in the Catholic schools, uh, the history it was mostly Western civilization, American history from a Eurocentric point of view, European civilization, the Renaissance, the medieval, all of that stuff. Everything was European, Europe, 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 Europe. And all the, the images of God that I saw were male, white, or with Mary, a white woman. And so what drew me back to the church, what drew me back to Catholicism was that I discovered that well, there is a black Madonna. So I would say that because I could see myself in the divine in just like that tangible form, that's what brought me back. I don't think I would have gone back to the church had it not been for me seeing that and knowing that that exists and that it's been existing for centuries and also seeing images of Jesus as a brown-skinned man. That's what piqued my interest to say, hmm, let me look into this more. So that was a challenge that I found growing up and that I'm kind of coming to grips with or reconciling now as an adult. As far as challenges as a Black Catholic in the culture as, as a whole, most of my interactions with other Black Christians are uh, mostly they come from Protestant faiths. So they come from the Black Baptist Church or the AME Church or Church of God in Christ or Holiness Church. So they don't have that sacramental life or that idea of sacramental life or, or even the idea of, of Mary. But it hasn't been a big hindrance for me or like this big barrier. It's so weird the way I exist because I can like move freely in a Black Black Baptist Church and then I could go back to the Catholic stuff so like that's never been like a conflict the conflict comes when there's like the images of European or when your theology is based on some type of Eurocentric idea you know that's lingering underneath all of that but I've always felt at home in the Black Church whether it be in Protestant or Catholic. I just know that I can't go too far with the Black Protestant church because once I start talking Saints, Mary, Novenas, then they're like looking at me like, okay. <laughs> but I've always felt at home with them. And so that hasn't been a stumbling block so much as the inherent racism. And like I said before, I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have gone back to the Catholic church had I not seen that there is the Black Madonna in, in all of that. I feel like I exist in a lot of liminal space where like there's no clear boundaries or demarcations between Black and Asian. In the history of Blacks and Asians in the United States, there can be a lot of racial tensions between the two. So for example, a lot of Asian-owned businesses are set up in the Black communities. So that can be an opportunity for collaboration on like social justice efforts, or it can be a source of conflict. And a lot of times when race riots break out, a lot of times then there's the strife between the Black people and the Asian people in the community because there's a sense of distrust between the two of them. Perhaps some Black people in the community resent that they have to give their money to Asian hair shops or Asian convenience stores. And then from the Asian side, there may be distrust because they have their own stereotypes of Black people as criminal or thieves or violent or whatever, but they're still set up in the community. I grew up kind of seeing that play out 
between my parents a lot. For example, like my parents used to sell jewelry in flea markets. And so they would go into New York City to purchase jewelry wholesale from Asian business owners who sold it wholesale. Well, the Asian business owners wouldn't talk to my father and they wouldn't do business with him. They would only do business with my mother. So she was like the person who bought from them and did all that. So I kind of saw that growing up. So now my very existence speaks to the possibility of Black people and Asian people coexisting peacefully with one another and working together on social justice or mutual efforts that can push both communities forward. Just my very existence can say that that's a possibility. But a lot of times I think as human beings, we like certainty, we like boundaries, we like knowns, we don't like unknowns. And so we like to define what is black or what is Asian or what is white or what is this and that, what is female, what is male. We like those like binaries or those demarcations to be clear. I decided in the past year as I was going through my own personal transformation that I don't want to exist in a clearly drawn line like I don't want you to see me as just black or as just Asian or this or that I like to say I am black and I am Filipino I'm both I move in the black space I can move in the Asian space I'm both I don't live or think in that binary and so I think because a lot of people do then that can be troublesome for them to deal with or to, you know, to confront, or maybe they just like ignore it. I've chosen to live in a liminal space where I am fully both. I don't even say I'm half this and half that, I'm just both. And so I think that that's problematic for some. And so like I have to, as a person, I have to say, well, what do I do with that? And so I just kind of have to make sure that I'm not affected by it when people want to put me in one or the other. I think because of my experience in non-Catholic Christian spaces, I can bring a sense of ecumenism to the Catholic Church. I have been exposed to probably most every single Protestant denomination that exists in America. I bring an ecumenical perspective to Catholic conversations. So some may say that that's bad, but but I do bring, bring an ecumenical perspective to it. I'm very much Catholic, but I do bring that to the table. I bring, and some may say this is bad too, more traditional Catholics, but I bring a progressive or intersectional mindset to the table as a person of color and as a woman of color. And I see God through that lens. I like to read a lot of Black womanist theology, and I identify a lot with the plight of Hagar in the book of Genesis as a woman of color who is banished by Sarah, and so she has to find her way. And then the Lord came to her and said, I see you. So when I was going through my crisis of faith within the evangelical church after I saw the racism inherent in there, there is a God, and He sought me out during that time, and He said to me, I see you. And that helped me to see that there is a place for me in the church and there's a place for my faith and my particular um, unique expression of the faith. So yeah, that's what I bring to the table as a Black Catholic.